This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Take the baseline out. Uh-huh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knock Podcast. My name is Dan Pavalli, coming at you with my esteemed co-host, Andy Bailey. We are here to talk about just this like small little trade that went down in, in the NBA on Tuesday. Eric Bledsoe was traded from the Suns after being banished for a couple of weeks. He was traded from the Suns to the Milwaukee Bucks for Greg Monroe, a very complicated first round pick protection and a, a protect, uh, excuse me, and a protected second round selection. And that was first reported by Zach Lowe and Adrian Wojnarowski over at ESPN.com. So we're going to get to that today along with just a bunch of other stuff because there are kind of a lot of ramifications now that trickle a little bit outside Milwaukee and Phoenix as well. But Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port in of number not currently active on T-Mobile Network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. First and foremost, as always, we need to catch up with Mr. Andy Bailey. How is life, good sir? It's going great. Um, I love that we have a trade to talk about that involves a banishment. I think that was the correct uh, word choice. Um, yeah, I, this is this is quite the deal. There are, there are a few better ways... Um, to kick off a day than with a Woj bomb and a legit one too. Have you noticed that a lot of like the Woj notifications you get now are, are huge letdowns since he's gone to ESPN? Um, he's yeah. like always retweeting he's always retweeting stuff. like yeah. ESPN God, he's such a good he's articles. such a good team player. It's so annoying. <laughs> is basically what. And but, I just want I just want trades and signings. Woj, come on, man. Um, speaking of Woj, though, Ken, I think it's life anecdote time. So. Uh, and this my this trickles out to sham too. But I had I'm engaged, and I had my engagement party. Uh, yes, it's been over a year, so thanks for being so late <laughs> to it. But anyway, so uh, my fiance's parents were throwing us an engagement party. Um, I can't, I can't remember the date, but it was it was a Saturday. It was in September, and I was just like, anytime I schedule anything, like even when it was a vacation, I, I went on. Uh, 
I don't know where I was visiting. Was it Tampa this year or something? And then and then crap started to happen. Maybe it was Vegas. I was in Vegas for a bachelor party, and the Kyrie Irving trade rumors. Like I got back, and then he was traded that day. So Carmelo Anthony gets traded the day of my engagement party, and then today uh, I worked until I had a bunch of stuff to do. So I was up until about like five thirty in the morning my time, and so oh boy, I'm supposed I was covering games tonight. Um, supposed to anyway, and so. I was like, well, I'm just going to catch some sleep, and then I'm going to go visit videographers with my fiance for the actual wedding. So she was eventually left stranded going to meetings by herself because the Eric Bledsoe trade happened uh, in between, and I was just basically like, all right, well, I got to go. So good luck with this, <laughs> and let me know how it turns out. Well, she must be forgiving, uh, which I, is all That or she's really good... good at harboring resentment. <laughs> Both good qualities. Um, anyway, so enough about how Eric Bledsoe is ruining my marriage that isn't a marriage yet. Um, I was not impressed with the return that they got. If we want to go through the protections really quick on this pick per Woj, the, uh, the Suns are going to get this pick in 2018 if it falls between number 11 and number 16. In 2019, they would get it if it goes from number 4 to number 16. If it doesn't convey then... It leaks into 2020 where they would get it should it fall between numbers 8 and 30. If it still hasn't conveyed by then, it'll be unprotected in 2021. That they got a first-round pick out of the deal, fine. That's what you want in these trades. They can turn into building blocks. You can get late first-round studs. We're kind of seeing it with Kyle Kuzma, um, and those are kind of the, also the perfect spots. Out, just outside the lottery or you know in the late early 20s you can make some nice reaches there if you really want to the second round pick is whatever Greg Monroe's an expiring salary so you're not you're taking on more money right now but you're not committing to anything long term but if you remember ahead of the draft it was per ESPN.com's Chris Haynes at the time they were talking about a deal centered around Emmanuel Moutier a top seven prospect with two years left on his rookie scale again at the time and then the number 13 pick and to go from that to this is just it's I don't think it's good. Given the situation, you could say, hey, they got OK value, but they let the situation drag on for way too long. And then, of course, his value just wasn't what it was when he wasn't with the team because their leverage is is just moot. And I'm curious. I know a lot of people they a lot of them were just like under the circumstances they got a lot. Uh, I know some people, including Matt Moore, at CBS Sports listed them as a winner in this deal. I don't know if you felt that way, but I, I honestly have trouble seeing it, and it might just be because I'm clouded by that past context. My gut reaction was Phoenix lost. I think the first thing I said after the trade was, wow, they, they pulled this off. Milwaukee pulled this off without having to give up any of Brogdon, uh, Jabari, or Thon. Um, I remember just a couple, like, well, whenever, whenever the... Uh, Bledsoe stuff really blew up when he sent out the I don't want to be here tweet that submarined his own trade value. <laughs> um, do you remember the big debate on Twitter between a bunch of people like, would you rather have Brogdon or Bledsoe? The fact, the fact that they now have both, <laughs> I mean, that, that just seems like they just crushed a home run, the Bucks. And I'm with you on the Suns. I, I mean, I feel like ultimately it was basically just Eric Bledsoe for a first-round pick. Um, Greg Monroe cannot possibly figure into their future no. plans. Um, and in fact, I don't even know what kind of role he's going to have this season. They need 
they have a bunch of young guys who need to be on the floor at the power forward and center positions. Alex Len, Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender. Did you just say Alex um, Len needs to be on the floor? Well, <laughs> yeah, that I'm glad you called me out on that because for me personally, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't have him out there. My my point is they have like five or six power forwards and centers um, that he's now a, a part of that mix. So I don't know what they're going to do with him this year, <laughs> other than just take him on so they can get rid of Eric Bledsoe. But yeah, I'm, my initial reaction is Phoenix lost. When I when I look back on it over the course of the day, it's like. This is what the fourth or fifth big star in a row that we've seen traded, and our initial reaction is they didn't get enough. I maybe this is more of just like a referendum on the trade market in general. This case just seems it seems a little bit different because, and with Monroe, unless they think that they can use his salary as to you know, if they want to, this is just hypothetically. The Lakers are looking to dump Dang. If the Lakers were willing to include two first-round picks, again, hypothetically, uh, in the years, what would have to be 2020 and 2022 or whatever, whatever their soonest that they can trade them, and you can use Monroe's expiring salary to match that incoming bad contract that's inbounding with these first-round goodies, that would hold a purpose. Otherwise, I think you buy him out. Uh, just to, He's an expiring contract. Maybe you shave a little bit of the money off the top and you don't run into the issue of playing these young guys like you were talking about because you already have Tyson Chandler who was playing actual minutes for much of this season and the fact that you didn't move him in the Bledsoe trade is another loss it was always going to be hard because they both they were two two of their highest paid players and it's hard to move these you know 25 plus million dollars worth of salary in the same deal but that might have I thought that might have been one of the concessions they make they take back mostly expiring money just to get rid of that that Tyson Chandler contract and now you're probably not able to do that just by itself, you would have to include a sweetener, which they're not really in a position to do unless they've given up on Dragon Bender, who's looked exceptional uh, since. Uh, wow, he's Earl been Watson a lot better fired. this year. He's, he looks yeah. so smooth. I say that I find myself saying that about Brandon Ingram for the past year plus. How it's the the efficiency is just not coming, but I watch him and him get into the lane and some of his movements. I'm like, I'm I'm saying he's so confident, just looks smooth. Dragon Bender putting the ball on the floor now, so you don't have. They're not going to use a sweetener to get rid of Tyson Chandler. I wonder if they would talk about buying him out and just eat that empty cap hit next year, uh, because it'll be they'll be able to save money uh, from the bottom line of his entire contract. I think that's the direction they have to go in now. But I do also think you're right. Maybe this is a refer- referendum on the star and fringe star market because in a vacuum, let's even say that they take that Nuggets deal. Number 13 in Emmanuel Moutier, who is only kind of starting to look like an NBA player now, that's not a great haul for Eric Bledsoe, who I would say by most, if all metrics, graded out as a top 10 point guard last year, and you can argue that he would be higher than 10th. I ranked him 10th when I did NBA 100 for Bleacher Report, and... You just look at the the trades for Jimmy Butler, and I'll remove Paul George from the equation because he was essentially on an expiring contract, but you're not going to get superstars that have more than two seasons left on their deals now. It's just not going to happen. So in theory, let's just look at just fringe stars, and then on the all-star scale, you have Jimmy Butler. Like Those are the ideal situations because you're getting multiple years with them, and you would expect kind of like a Kyrie Irving-esque return, and the fact that they didn't get it it becomes a question now, did these front offices really drop the ball? Most people think Chicago did. That pick swap was one of the most asinine decisions I've ever seen in my entire life with regard to the NBA. 
and then the Suns, <laughs> should they have just traded Eric Bledsoe sooner? I think you can make both those cases, but just with the money that's floating around the NBA, uh, what we kind of know about how important it is to be rebuilding through the draft, uh, it, it again, I, I have to circle back to your point. I, I think there's definitely something there that maybe superstars just aren't going for much, and I want to turn it around on you in this context. Do you also think that it's a matter of now fit versus star power sometimes, and this steps on the toes of your Brogdon point because they didn't necessarily want to give him up in the Kyrie Irving trade, I don't think, and they definitely didn't want to give him up in this trade. They ultimately didn't have to, but you know Eric Bledsoe, yes, more talented than Malcolm Brogdon, but you know Malcolm Brogdon fits alongside Giannis Attentacumpo. He doesn't need the ball. He's just that more universal fit than a guy like Bledsoe who it's going to take some time to integrate him, and I'm just wondering if where there are teams like the Rockets who say, we want talent now, we'll figure it out later, maybe there's a lot of the rest of the NBA that places a a, a bigger priority on fit. And even the Rockets might be there because they're not just going to chase any superstar. Do you go after Chris Paul to play with Harden if he doesn't shoot an insane percentage on catch-and-shoot threes? I, I don't think that you do. So, yeah. How is <laughs> that a for to... a rant? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say there's a lot to unpack there. Um I think fit definitely plays into it. I was I was thinking about the uh, Bledsoe situation specifically and sort of our, our overarching topic so far. Um, does it does it show that the leverage is with the players or ownership now at this point? And I think it's it's trending even more and more to like players kind of control what they want to do and where they want to go these days. Like a star player like Eric Bledsoe can now say, I don't want to be here. Um, and he knows that the team can't really hold out for long and the team has to eventually take a deal. That's um, maybe not ideal, but just the fact that he wants out, he's able to get out. Um, I don't, I don't know if that really addresses any of the questions that you had for me, but that was just another thing I was thinking about in the wake of this trade is, um, we're marching further and further down this path where it's the players seem to have so much leverage in the NBA. So we, you and I are just chock full of questions rather than answers. Basically, <laughs> what we're yeah. getting at. Well, the, to, but to the fit thing, do you think that that also has something to do with it? I'm also convinced now. By the way, as an aside, did you see that LeBron Arthur meme on Instagram? Yeah, I'm just convinced that he knew about the trade 14 hours before anybody else, and that's why he posted it. Wouldn't surprise me. And then his he's like trying to backtrack it today, wasn't he? By by posting a bunch of pictures of him with a clenched fist. Did you see that? No, I actually did not. So he posted it again, the same Arthur picture, along with like five pictures of himself with his fist clenched. And he was like, This is always my mood. <laughs> yeah, right, man. Nobody's nobody's gonna buy that. I, I, um, he knows that in terms of fit though, like um Maybe it is sort of a signal for how um, sort of the smaller market teams, maybe they're thinking more about that now than they used to uh, in terms of team building. Where, like, can I go and get a superstar like Paul George, but it's going to cost me two or three of these chemistry-type guys that can fit in with anybody and will do um, what they're asked to do by the coach do I give up those two or three guys that I can have on my team for four or five years for the chance to have one superstar who might leave in like one or two? Um, 
that's I'm I'm sure that has to be part of the calculus, especially for a team like um, Milwaukee or any of these other teams that uh, it's traditionally kind of hard to attract big names. Um, so to, yeah, to get back to your question, I'm sure that's that's definitely part of the consideration as they're looking at these big names that keep coming up over and over and over. Yeah, and I mean I, the Bucks for certain care about it because they I don't were they willing they to have their like they have their franchise defining superstar right, and so it's all about getting the fits around him. Ex- yeah, exactly. And so let's let's talk about that the Eric Bledsoe Giannis Attendkumpo fit. I think it's going to be really interesting. Would you agree that it will be Eric Bledsoe who will be the one making more of the adjustments than Giannis? Yeah, I, I think if it's going to work, it's going to have to go that way. Um, I, I think if you if you take anything away from Giannis, you're doing it wrong. I think um, what you focus on, and we, you can't stash him in the corner yet. He's shooting 33.3% on threes entering that game against the Cavs, which if Giannis is going to shoot 33% on a moderate volume of threes, hell freaking yeah. Like that's yeah. just – he's already unguardable, but – you can't really do that. You'll, I'm sure Jason Kidd will try it because I'm not sure what other choice you have. Bledsoe was ninth in drive per games last year, so he does need those opportunities. But I'm really interested to see if, and we haven't seen as much as it of it this season, but will we see Giannis off the ball and the Bucks will try and set some screens for him so that he can cut toward the basket? Uh, he shot a ridiculous rate on those last year. It was close to 85%, and he was averaging a few more possessions per game in those situations than he is this year. And then the bigger thing, Giannis is the role man in pick and rolls with Eric Bledsoe. Yeah, um, that's crazy. No, Listen to this. This actually took me by surprise. I've seen the Bucks play. They don't run a lot of pick and rolls. I would have to check the numbers for sure on that, but they don't really go to it. A lot of it just seems like, hey, Giannis, go, and that that's their offense. But he averaged more possessions as the role man per game than anyone on the team other than Monroe, and now he leads the team with his 1.8 more man possessions, and he's shooting 76.9% on those looks, the second highest mark in the league among 54 players to cycle through 15 or more of those touches. Wow. So that, that would be – I've always thought Eric Bledsoe was an underrated pick-and-roll ball handler. He's he's a pretty good scorer out of the pick-and-roll, and I think he can be a better passer and just be even better in general if you give him more space to work with. And I would hazard that the Bucks, even though they still don't shoot a ton of threes, they have more established, more system, defense-drawing friendly shooters than the Suns and give him that extra daylight and also knowing that you have – uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo's magnetism to just pull defenders off and out of the paint no matter where he's standing, that'll help him him as well. And uh, So we talk about unguardable pick-and-roll combinations. They might be a little bit easier to guard because guys will go under them since neither of them are known as great shooters, but I they could be a fantastic pick-and-roll combination, just especially after looking at what Giannis has been able to do as the diver this season. Yeah, I think they absolutely will. Um Former podcast guest James Hollis, Snotty Drippin. Are we just hit former, um, as in he's never coming back on? <laughs> well, one, uh, yes, he was a guest at one time. We should have him back on again. Um, he made the comparison Bledsoe, Giannis, and Fawn to Wade, LeBron, and Bosch. And I was, at first, I thought, well, that's kind of interesting, but it, it made more sense to me as I thought about it. They could have sort of like a kick and slash 
rather than a slash and kick kind of offense like Miami had for a couple of years where both LeBron and Wade were getting to the rim. Um, you can kick out to, they could kick out to Bosch or Mike Miller or Shane Battier. Like it was usually those two guys and three shooters, one of whom was another star in Bosch. Um, now obviously Thon isn't a star like Bosch was at the time, but in terms of profile, he's similar. He's a, he's a, thin, big guy who can protect the rim a little bit, stretches the floor. Um, so he can be that third shooter in a Bledsoe-Giannis type of lineup. And if either of those guys slashes to the rim, they have four options to kick out to. They can kick out to Thon McCurr, uh, Tony Snell, Malcolm Brogdon, or if they kick out to the other slasher, so if it's Giannis kicking to Bledsoe, um, that's a guy who can attack closeouts really well or vice versa like Giannis can attack a closeout if Bledsoe's kicking out to him when I thought about it I was like okay I can actually see how that sort of an offensive philosophy would work for this team the the I think initial concern that like neither Bledsoe nor Giannis is you know a great three-point shooting threat I think that's a real concern it's valid um but there are ways to work around it, I, I think, with how talented these two guys are. And I think both of them are going to be able to, to help each other feast even more than they already have. That is an interesting comparison. It's not one I would have jumped to or agreed upon immediately, I guess, without giving it more initial thought. But the way Yeah, it, you... surprised, it surprised me initially, too. But I, I just started thinking about it more and more and thought, well, I can, I can see um, sort of the parallels between each of those three guys. I'm interested, and this, I guess it's moving a little bit off topic. I wonder what the Bucks are going to do with their starting lineup. I initially thought that you bring Brogdon off the bench, and I think that was a popular theory, but I, I saw a lot of people kind of believe that they'll move Brogdon to the two and bring Tony Snell off the bench. But to me, this is just personally, now all of a sudden you have your four best playmakers in the starting lineup with Middleton, Brogdon, Bledsoe, and Attentacumpo, and that's those lineups need to happen. They'll be super fun, but who is creating? Then you still have to play Delhi off the bench. Yeah, and I believe I think, that one of the benefits of this is that now you don't have to play Delhi. Yeah, exactly. Ideally, you're you're taking any minutes Delhi had, and they Throwing are now in the trash can. Yeah, <laughs> they are now uh, split between Brogdon and Bledsoe. I was talking to um, Nathan Hand. He is a subscriber, probably our most loyal fan. Shout out to Nathan Hand. Shout out um, to him. And more people <laughs> should subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. Just absolutely. Tell Andy will give you a hug. There in Australia. Um, anyway, I was talking to Nathan about Delhi today, actually, right after the trade went down. And <laughs> I had this scary thought, like, it would not surprise me if Jason Kidd continued to play Delhi, even after this trade. A lot of people just think Jason Kidd's gonna the the end result of this is Jason Kidd getting fired because he's <laughs> yeah. Not... A bunch of Bucks fans were like, "Why couldn't he have been included in the deal?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is kind of stubborn with weird things, uh, and his like having the, the center the center rotation for the, yes that that for the last like two or three years has been so weird. And Thon has not been the starting lineup with him. It was statistically okay, and he has not been great this year. Henson's been better, but I've always I've found it. I don't know, does he have like an affinity for just playing a ceremonial starter and then giving him the quick hook? And when you're going to play both of those guys, like why don't the Bucks kind of go to pick and rolls a little bit more? I know you have Greek Freak, but those guys, like that's what they need to do. Even Don McCurr, who's 
going to shoot threes, or in theory is supposed to be this guy who shoots threes. And those two might benefit from having Bledsoe as well because you have to play pick and roll more now that he's there. I think with Malcolm Brogdon sure it's a little so. bit different because he's not really that like pure attacker. And, you know, Delhi is Delhi. Um, and Giannis Attentacupo, it's 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 not it's not taking away from him to put him in pick and rolls, but it's why would he ever pass? Because he's just as soon as you set a screen, he's just gone. It's better yeah. off to just pop off of that screen. But anyway, so you have to run pick and roll now. Maybe that helps both those guys. It definitely has to help Henson, uh, who's who's kind of this just rambunctious dunker. And Thon McCurr, maybe he gets a little bit more open shots from three, but maybe he also turns into like this kind of viable lob threat. And there's not a lot of other places for kid to go now, unless he really wants to play DJ Wilson, which I guess is always a possibility because Monroe is gone. He has the calf injury now, but when he came back, you could easily see him kind of usurping McCurr in the rotation. Yeah. It'll be really, maybe that's like the next logical question is, do we trust kid to make this work? This new duo with Bledsoe and honor to Kumpo. I I honestly don't know the to me the defense. I'm not be... as like just at like the outset. I'm not as pessimistic about him as a lot of people who follow Buck Bucks closer than I do. I I feel I I get the um some of the complaints. Their defensive philosophy to just like allow corner threes is very strange. Um, like you said, ceremonial starters. It's, that's always been weird to me. Um how long it took him to realize that Brogdon was the starting point guard last year was, was strange to me. But at the, at the same time, like look at the strides that a player like Giannis has made. And obviously that has a lot to do with Giannis, but um, I think some credit probably goes to kid on stuff like that too, though. Yeah. The, the only thing that would really concern me is how they run their defense because now they're not forcing turnovers. They're, they're 16th, I think, in turnover rate, uh, the opponent turnover rate now compared to fifth last year. And the whole point of that we have limbs defensive scheme that they basically run is we're going to force these turnovers. But now not only they're just allowing a ton of corner threes. Um, I, I looked this up on cleaning the glass. I think it was yesterday. Only four teams give up more corner threes. And now what teams are kind of doing – Ball handlers are identifying where the help is coming from a little quicker, and they'll send those guys on beelines toward the rim. And now no one, this is according to Cleaning the Glass, is allowing more looks at the rim than Milwaukee. That You have to adjust to that. And I saw, I wish I knew who said this they on Twitter. They need to just it was, dial it back, like, one or two notches. I, this might have been I, from the Dunked On, sorry, this might have been from the Dunked On podcast the other day, but I, I think uh, him or Danny LaRue had said, we they need to start it no it wasn't for uh, whoever said this made a really good point but now you have Eric Bledsoe and you're longer somehow so you should be switching stuff a little bit more as opposed to just trying to go for all these traps and doubles and be hyper super crazy frenetic aggressive and those are adjustments he should make I I don't the offense I'm pretty indifferent though with him uh the one thing that the, the Bucks don't have this huge cast of shooters. They should be shooting more threes. Jason Kidd seems like he kind of has a little bit of the Earl Watson syndrome in him. But again, if Giannis Attentacumbo is your main guy, maybe you can't shoot as many threes. But they're a team that doesn't play particularly fast, and I think that they should. And the other thing for me is, and I don't know how much of this is on Kidd, but they look to push the ball a lot after defensive rebounds. But now their efficiency in those situations, it was ninth last year, and now it's 14th this year according to unpredictable and that's kind of uh if that's the only real speed that you're going to show they're third in pace in those situations you need to be 
a semblance of efficient, and right now they just aren't. I don't know how much of that falls on him, but this just feels like a flawed team. But I'm, I'm to your point. I guess I'm not as pessimistic with him as everyone else. I would kind of like to see some defensive adjustments, though. Yeah, I would agree with you. I, I think if you look at that roster, the idea made sense. Let's collect a bunch of super long arms and just <laughs> have them create chaos and havoc. But you would think after – what have they been doing that for now? Two or three years? Wasn't um, it, and it was like three years ago they were fifth in defensive feel, rating? Yeah, and I was going to say I feel like it worked really well that – uh, was it when MCW was there? Um, and they got a ton of credit for it. Maybe that's why they've clung to it or clinged, clung. <laughs> um, <laughs> clung, clinged. <laughs> maybe that's why they have grasped it. I don't nice. know. I like um, it. They were, yeah, so they were second in points allowed per 100 possessions in 2014, 2015. Is that when MCW was on that team? He, no, he was on the, uh, who was on that team? I'm, I'm looking at it right well, now. Is that when they still had Brandon Knight? Uh, they had who was still there? Um, I'm actually in the wrong year, so I can't help you there. But who uh, now? I'm in the right year. Um, who was still there? Load, load, load. They, anyway, that was the year with Brandon ahead. Knight. Uh, was there for 52 games. You had Ursan Ilyasova was there. Jared Dudley was there. Jared Bayless was there. Remember when he shot like a zillion percent? Uh, no, that wasn't that year that he shot a zillion percent, but he was there. Um, so. I, I don't. I, like, anyway, it worked for him for like one year, and now they they just continue to do it over and over and over. You'd think they would have made an adjustment by now. So I agree MCW with you there. MCW was there for twenty five games, by the way. You are correct. Okay. Kudos to you. <laughs> I don't know if he had anything to do with that <laughs> top ranked defense, but um, he was the defense. The only other thing, unless you had anything else to add on the Bucks, the the one thing that I was wondering about today too is, I don't know when the last time we got an update on Jabari Parker's timeline, um, when, when that last update came through, but how does he fit? I mean, eventually a starting lineup, it, it would seem like it's gotta be Bledsoe, Middleton, um, Giannis, Jabari, insert ceremonial center here. (laughs) Um, and so it makes sense on paper to me. Do you have any sort of lingering concerns about what this does? for Jabari Parker. I I wonder how it's all going to fit because he's another guy. He's honed his off-ball touch and shot threes really well last season, but he's also someone who likes to operate off the bounce as well. And Bledsoe's only under contract for one more year, but now you have to reinvest in Jabari this summer. Uh, I'm still curious to see what he's going to get. I know he views himself as a max player, but his cap hold sits over. Two ACLs is tough, too. Right, and his cap hold sits over $20 million, and I wouldn't pay him that unless it's super short term. I'm very interested to see what he gets. Maybe he leaves a lasting impression again when when he presumably returns this season. I I don't know how it's going to work. I guess the best way would be to see who operates with Giannis best and then stagger the other one so that Parker or Bledsoe and have them run the second units alone and you can play Brogdon and Middleton a lot of those minutes because they fit next to anybody I like that idea um and I I just looked him up on Roto World and somebody actually told me this the other day he's been like dunking in warm-ups in practice but they're still sticking with February as his return I mean, you can't. If you come back earlier when you're on your second ACL injury, I, I don't know. I'm, they, they're probably right to just be cautious about it. Oh, yeah. And you're doing all this on the fly. So if he comes back in February, you really only have March and April in the playoffs to get like a good look. And that's assuming he gets acclimated at what you have. 
I'm very interested to see how the Bucks handle it, and I can't begin to fathom how you work all three of them together on offense. Is it? It would it be. It feels a lot- like he's got to. He he has to become, um, like the outlet on those drives. He he's got to become a great catch and shoot player. I and I the- can't see uh, how workable it is otherwise. I would agree with you, and I also kind of think that. Giannis has to be this role guy a lot then too because Jabari Parker can run pick and rolls. He has good handles. Yeah, so he can... was he was starting to show quite a bit of playmaking uh, last season. So that I, that would be the other solution, and then you just have to hope in those situations that Eric Bledsoe will give you enough as a catch and shoot guy. And he hasn't been terrible the past two years. Last year he was inexplicably bad on wide open uh, catch and shoot three pointers. I I don't understand it, but Suns gonna Suns I guess. So if he's gonna give you. I don't know what you need him. Preferably you want to see him hit 40% on his catch-and-shoot threes, but if he's going to give you between 35%, 37% higher than that, th- then it's workable because you can just run the two-man game with the other guy uh, sort of dotting the arc, or you can run with both of them uh, orbiting Giannis Attentacumpo drives. And if Giannis is ever able to become a 30% three-point shooter consistently, th- then it becomes that much easier. So th- there is a path to it, and I wonder do you ever go with – to make sure that you maximize shooting in those lineups, do you ever put Parker at center, attend to with the four, go Middleton, Bledsoe, and Brogdon, and that's the lineup that kind of brings you home? I, I just had the exact same thought like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> same wave. Although I although I had uh, – it, it's irrelevant, but I I thought Parker at the four and Antetokounmpo at the five. I mean, but ultimately, yeah, yeah. it's a positionless lineup, so it doesn't matter. Th- that might but be th- one path to it. That's your five guys. Um, that would definitely be – that's the lineup you're probably – well, it would probably depend on the matchups because Tony Snell is going to give you more defense than Jabari Parker. Um, yeah, but, that's true. But I guess if you, – you would like to have that other pure shot creator there too because Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, and Attentacumpo are all going to be defensive pluses, so you could cover up for Parker in and most that's instances. A, that's got to like, be your crunch time lineup. Theoretically, that's a tough, tough lineup to guard. Everyone can put the ball on the floor. Brogdon, and that's a testament to how deep the lineup is, would probably be your worst ball handler, which is crazy. Yeah, yeah. That's a, uh, that, that lineup is very, very intriguing to me. Um, do you – I would like to get – what do you – the Bucks now, I, I would kind of like to delve into their future a little bit on this. They've uh, – the trade was smart. You still make it. But now you've added Bledsoe's salary to the books next year, and if you factor in – Jabari Parker's cap hold, and I'm just assuming no trade exceptions. Um, let's just say the first round pick goes to Phoenix this year. You're at 125 million dollars. That's if you pay Jabari Parker 20 million dollars a year. So you're over the 101 million dollar projected ta- uh, cap, which is fine because the only way you were going to get real cap space this summer was by dealing two or three of Toledovich, Henson, and Delavadova, which would have been incredibly difficult and if you're only going to move two of them you would have basically had a bid farewell to Jabari Parker so I have no issue with that but now who are you moving if you want to duck the luxury tax I'm not sure how much that's supposed to jump by next year but I think 125 would put them over it's 119 and change this year um and I'm still I'm kind of curious to see how they approach it that's just another interesting thing to me because what if what, you know, what if everyone expects the restricted free agents to get squeezed this year? And I agree, but everyone expected everyone to get paid last year, and no one got paid, basically. So what if a team just tries to come call and forces Milwaukee's hand? You don't want to lose an asset like Parker. I guess at that point, 
you can probably trade Henson. He'll have two years um, and like $21 million left on his deal after this year. Toledovich will be one year, 10.5. If you can't move him, he's probably a really easy guy to stretch. Uh, I would assume stretching Delvadova would be off the table with two years left on his deal just because you don't want to pay him. It'd be like $4 million and change over the next five, uh, four years would be really, or five years, be $3 million change over the next five years would be really annoying. I don't know what they do, but I guess that's the route they would have to go as we saw them do it with Spencer Haas when they stretched him this year. That might be, depending on how much you pay Jabari Parker or what the trade market would be, that is probably the route you have to go again. Yeah, so I pulled up their cap sheet as you um, introduced this topic. I feel like um, I feel like Hanson, Toledovich, and Snell are all like fairly movable. Um, Snell, definitely. What I was going to say about Snell is he, out of those three, might be the one that makes the most sense for Milwaukee, though. To, so, to move? No, to keep. Yeah. Oh, I think 100%. I don't even think that's a question. Yeah. Like, he, he fits the philosophy. He's on the right timeline. Um, he's really developed as a 3 and D guy in the last couple of years with Milwaukee. But I think, think Toledovich is still uh, movable, just as, like, a team that needs an extra little bit of shooting. Um, Henson, I think some team could probably still talk themselves into his uh, theoretical rim protection and um, Brooklyn rim rolling Booker abilities. Leaves would be interesting if Booker leaves yeah. free agency. Um, would you pay? if it, I was, Would you stretch Della Vadova? It would be $3.8 million, a little bit more per year say, over five years. I don't think anybody is trading for that contract. I don't you I don't even think a first round pick sweetener does it with two That's maybe with two say. years it left have... on his deal, but I don't even think it does it. And the Bucks, if the you know, if they convey theirs to Phoenix, now you're looking at they could trade it after the draft technically, but you don't want to get in the habit of dealing all these draft picks because you've the Bucks have kind of set a precedent, or at least they did under John Hammond, that they want to use these picks and, and make reaches like DJ Wilson and Giannis Identical. If it was like John Lecure. If it was your last resort and you had this directive from the owner that we're not, we cannot go into the tax, then yeah, I would probably stretch him. Our Australian followers are gonna um, eat me alive. You wouldn't when I go down there, though. Well, some people might be. <laughs> I I don't doubt it, but some people might be of the mind that you would stretch to Ledovich if you can't move him, because then what you're essentially doing. Because then uh, it doesn't last as long, right? Three point, it's about the same amount, $3.5 million, but it's for three years. I'm not, you know, now you're talking about you have Spencer Haas on the books for $2 million, two more years. Then you have Toledovich, so you're paying 5.5 for two years, and then the Toledovich in that third year. If you're going to stretch someone, I'd probably just eat the Del Vadova bullet. I, I don't know. I'm not a fan of, I, I think you're right. Maybe Toledovich is movable. I definitely think John Henson would be movable. But how do you move him unless you're convinced we're just going to start Giannis and Jabari together at the 4-5 technically, and we still have Thon McCurr and DJ Wilson's going to develop. If they don't really show things, You kind of, now you kind of need Henson because Greg Monroe is yeah. gone and you're not going to keep him at a supreme discount. Mirsa Teletovic cannot play any five. That shouldn't be an option for more than like a second a game. Seems like every arrow is pointing at Teletovic as like the guy that they need to try to get off of. Yeah, I think it's probably what? just yeah. So I'm just interested to see how they play it. And again, it could, it might not be if you can get Jabari at a starting salary of 15 million dollars. Now all of a sudden you're looking at 121, 120 million dollars. You're closer, and 
then there are more things that you can do to duck that because you don't need to get under it by as much. So I put, I'm just very interested to see how they play because they're not going to pay the tax, at least not next year to me. Um, this year, though, immediately, they did save money on this deal, and now they're kind of, I, I believe, and I didn't check these, but I think they're like $5.9 million under the tax, so they could technically be active at the trade deadline if they really wanted to be. Maybe there's still something there that they haven't explored. I'm just, I'm very interested to see how they play this because you have Giannis Attentacumpo now. He says he doesn't like these big cities. He's uh, he's going to have three years left on his deal after this one. I'm not trying to create this panic, but there is this sense, especially when you make a deal like this, that you're trying to win now and you need to make measurable progress, I would think, by 2019 because you're going to presumably have recommitted in Jabari, and then all of a sudden Eric Bledsoe's contract is up, and then you pay him, and all of a sudden Giannis only has two years left on his deal. And let's also not forget, this isn't something that people are probably considering, but Malcolm Brockton's deal is going to be up too. Uh, Once they kind of, they're going to guarantee his contract for next season, but he has a qualifying offer in 2019. So now you're looking at uh, these summers. That second round salary is nice, but it doesn't last long. Uh, yeah, so a great pickup. I'm just saying I'm very interested in their future now, and all of this needs – if it doesn't come together, if we don't want to say that it needs to come together very quickly, they need to understand what the ceiling is or what the ceiling isn't very quickly before they start just throwing out all this money. Would you exceed the uh, the cap hold for Jabari Parker? No, I wouldn't. I, I'm sorry, just two ACL injuries. I, I like how much he improved as a shooter. Um, and I was looking at his uh, spot-up numbers from last season. It was 36.4% from three on spot-ups. That's It's not incredible, but it's, it's pretty good, and he shot 35.7% uh, on completely wide-open looks So from three, and that's a number that could continue to go up as he gets more comfortable from beyond the arc. We're talking about average to above-average numbers in certain situations when he was on career-high volume, I believe, until he tore his ACL, but... I'm sorry, especially with the way the market has been and what we've seen. If this was a guy who you knew could switch on defense, and I think he showed some of it last year, but now, again, we're talking about a second ACL injury. I don't, I'm only giving him – I'd max him out if he'd take a one-year deal if you want to go the KCP route and just actually yeah. give him max money. Then you know what? Fine. You could figure out how to deduct the tax. You could suck it up and pay it for a year and reevaluate where you're at, and all of a sudden you have – this would be – I don't think it's what happens. I'm assuming Jabari wants to go the let me get my long-term money route and that there'll be someone who would offer him a three-year deal or something. But if you were able to do that, max him out for a year, then you have Parker, Bledsoe, and Brogdon entering free agency in the same summer as Toledovich comes off the books with Delhi expiring and Henson expiring. That'd be very – that'd be an interesting situation. Would you give him – would you give him even his cap hold? It's tough, man. Um What's the justification I, uh, behind giving him that much money over yeah, any extended period of time? I can't come up I with stumped one. you. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> and I was gonna say I'm as I'm as I feel like I'm as big a Jabari believer as there is, um, but that's that scares me too. Um, Would you max out Dante Exum? Uh, can, can I double the max? Yeah, you could double the max if you really just want to make sure he stays. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Um, what about the uh, – I, I think we've pretty much exhausted the um, 
ramifications for the Bucks. Can I just on ask this one trade. quick question? I don't even want an explanation. Who's yes. going to be the incumbent Buck that benefits most from Eric Bledsoe coming? We know Delhi should, if kid does this right, should suffer the most. But who's going to benefit the most from him being in Milwaukee? Um, I'll I'll say Giannis. Just uh. Get him one or two more easy looks a game. Do you know who? Who do, you, who do you have? I think it's going to be Chris Middleton. I th- just because he's been he's played more minutes without Giannis on his own than Brogdon. It doesn't seem like they even want Brogdon to run things by himself. And maybe that's a benefit if he comes off the bench, he'll get more solo time. But I'm not sure that's the role you want from him. We've seen his shooting percentages plummet this year. Now you're in more of a complementary role again. You could be the guy who drills spot up triples the guy who runs pick and rolls in a pinch but basically it's just pump and drive and dump or you're just going to fire off a catch and i think that'll really help him and then you still do what he does defensively and just some of the potential lineups they could run um on defense now i I think that's going to make life a hell of a lot easier on him as well too so i think he ends up Giannis. i agree with kind of but if i was like i don't know maybe i'm trying to be too contrarian but i think that he's going to be a guy that we see he'll be able to return to that middle ground that he kind of established over the previous season and a half before this year. I know I was the one who was trying to move on from the Bucks, but I I actually have something else to add now too. Rashad um, extension. <laughs> the only time that Jabari, Giannis and Middleton have ever like really been able to play together for a while was post All-Star break 2015-16. Um so it's been a while. But the numbers in that stretch are pretty crazy. They they barely had a positive net rating as a trio, which is a little bit concerning. But this was this was before Giannis made two ridiculous leaps. So, but anyway, post All Star break 2015-16, all three guys averaged 19 points a game. 18.9 for Jabari, 18.8 for Giannis, 18.8 for Middleton. Um, Jabari averages six rebounds and two assists. Giannis averages nine rebounds, seven assists. Middleton averages four rebounds, five assists. Um, they combine to average almost six steals. Damn. Um, they're they're all shooting. Okay, Jabari's a little below average three point percentage. Giannis is way below, but Middleton's shooting well. They're all shooting around fifty percent from the field. Um, <laughs> looking at this, it almost kind of bums me out that this trio has never really been able to play together. Like Jabari had his second torn ACL. It was pretty much, was it the game that Middleton came back or the game before last year? It was hella bad timing, I remember. But man, if they ever ever get a chance to play extended minutes together, that is quite the trio. But I think right there, this whole point, that's why I'm not giving Jabari all this money because obviously Middleton was injured last year too, but he's the primary culprit in this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very tough call um, with him. And one of the reasons I thought they might think about uh, trading him um, just so they can avoid the headache that's coming. Um, but obviously, they're, he's, he's still in the plans. Um, what about Phoenix's plans? They, they, this can't be it for them. I mean, they have other veteran contracts that they need to uh, get out from under, right? I mean, t- Tyson Chandler seems like the next logical one. When the when the 
Bledsoe Milwaukee stuff first started brewing like a couple weeks ago, uh, Milwaukee was a destination that actually kind of made sense to me for Chandler too. Um, I felt like on a good team, he would sort of reinvigorate himself, maybe play like he did for the Knicks a couple years ago. Um, he fits sort of the length and the defensive philosophy that they're going for in Milwaukee. Um, so he's a guy that they, that I assume they're probably trying to figure out how to move or buy out or whatever they want to do. And then, um, Jared Dudley is there too. So that's another one that's, uh, sort of floating out there as a possibility. Do you know, I came up with a trade that ended up being kind of similar. It, it had the framework of what the Suns uh, accepted for Bledsoe, but I, it was a Tyson Chandler Bledsoe trade because I agree with you. I think he would have been an interesting fit with the Bucks if the Bucks would have taken Bledsoe and Chandler. You do trade Delhi and Monroe, but you give up DJ Wilson and the 2018 pick, and you could give up the same second round pick if you want to. Who was the team that said no in that situation if it was on the table? Um, I, I guess Phoenix because they don't want they don't want long term money tied up in Delhi, but that trade does make sense to me. It's just, I mean, it's two years of Delhi, I guess. Uh, but if you then you have to be confident that you can move Tyson Chandler because if you're looking at it this way, you're going to be paying Tyson Chandler to take minutes away from Bigs yeah, for another you've... year after this one. So Delhi, if you want to look at it this way, Delhi's cheaper than Chandler, and he's on the books for an extra year, which, again, you have Mike James now. Uh, that That's going to be an interesting situation too. You have Tyler Uless who's coming off the bench, but also Brandon Knight next season. You can't move him without a sweetener that the Suns aren't going to attach because they're not in a position to do that. You kind of have to decide, hey, are we going to showcase him for trade value next year, assuming he's healthy? Do we kind of envision him maybe coming off the bench as a super sub, be a part of that big-picture backcourt rotation? And the other element of all this is Mike James needs more money because he was only on that 45-day contract, right, that two-way contract, and Devin Booker's extension eligible this summer. Man, time flies. That's how you feel old. Devin Booker's yeah, extension crazy. eligible. Yeah, they've got some interesting decisions to make too. Um what other teams might be out there for Tyson Chandler? I, or is this? Are, are we just uh, he, barreling towards a buyout? He seemed. He just seemed like he needed to be a throw-in on this deal. Or that's kind of what I felt again, like are too. You, and with that extra year that he has, I think he's at two years, including this one with twenty point six million dollars total, uh, or is it or twenty six point five million dollars? Yeah, twenty six point five million dollars. So. I just don't know where are you sending him because if you are taking back a worse deal, it, it's lasting three years all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So you don't you don't want you don't want to do the dang thing, and the Lakers probably wouldn't even do that. My guess would be, I, I, again, can you name a team? No one needs a center right now. Uh, That's it's we've run into this problem several times on the podcast because it's like everybody wants to trade their big men, but nobody needs one. Would you if you were the Pacers and you were kind of sold? on this core, like really going at it, would you flip Al Jefferson's non-guarantee um, for Tyson Chandler? Because then you have him on the books, bring him off the bench behind Miles Turner. And I think Al is guaranteed $3.5 million of his salary next season. So the I Phoenix would could maybe him. consider it, but they, they have something going with a, like what I would want for Indiana is a three-man rotation of Turner, Sabonis, and Young. 
And then if you want a fourth guy, they might already, they might already have that in TJ Leaf. Yeah, that's you know what that's that's a good point. He was balling at some point, but they've regressed a little bit. Uh, the Pacers have so yeah, but that's not and, a trade you would make though because it's it's oh, this non-shooting center either. and you have Miles Turner. Yeah, I, I and I it's can't. It's hard find to find uh, landing places for any of these big guys these days. Yeah, I honestly have no idea because you're who's going to give up an expiring contract for Tyson Chandler one, and what expiring contracts are out there now? The Suns, the Suns have one of them in Greg Monroe, as that like primary trade bait. So I, if if I'm them, I would think that you at this point, unless he wants to be there or is unwilling to take anything less than he's owed, it's time to start talking buyout and you eat like the empty money next season just to save some money in the long run because I don't. I honestly don't know. Or you try and move. Maybe they just think that he could be moved as an expiring contract next year. Yeah, maybe that's the play. I just even, <laughs> Hold on to gonna, everybody this year and then try pay, and... He's owed $26.6 million this season and next total. Who's paying thir- like, Who wants to pay 36-year-old Tyson Chandler 13.6 without kind of lopping off one of their own crummy deals? And I don't think... I know Jared Dudley's someone we're going to touch upon. Unless he asks for out, I don't see them getting rid of him, right? Just because... Unless they're just super cheap, because he seems enthusiastic about being this mentor for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of value to that. But at the same time, he might be a lot more movable than Tyson Chandler. Like, if they really want to get out from under some money. He needs to kind of—he had the surgery a few months ago, though, and he hasn't been playing much this year. Yeah. So is is he— is he more movable? Than, I mean, you're right. He probably is more movable than Chandler because combo forwards who can shoot threes typically are. But he's made three appearances this season. I, I don't know. I, I, they're in a very interesting spot. And probably I would imagine the focus long term though now is what is going on with the backcourt rotation, right? This is Devin Booker's team and kind of has been since the end of last season when they shut down mm-hmm. uh, Eric Bledsoe. But now you have Mike James, who's who's still playing really well. He's kind of regressed as this pull-up shooter, but I still like what he does in those situations. He's also a guy who can knock down some threes he's, off the catch, which is going to be a good fit next to Booker. I like what he does on he's defense. He's also 27. Right, but how much money are you going to pay? That's another decision. And you also yeah. have Brandon Knight for two more years after this one, and you're not you're not moving him. That's so, crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, he's on the Brandon Knight's there till through 2019-20. Right, and he's if he's if he's was healthy and playing like kind of good basketball, maybe he's movable. But he I don't know. Two years and thirty point so three million season. dollars after this year. That's Since we've started recording, um, Woj tweeted about them. That I think they're already exploring trade possibilities with Monroe too. I'm interested. The play there though is then you have to take back long term salary because no one needs Greg Monroe. It's the same. It's the same. Thing we've, I mean, we've run into it with Greg Monroe specifically on the podcast. I know we have. <laughs> we've talked about who who could use Greg Monroe, and it's like impossible to find. The teams that you could maybe talk yourself into, yeah, they can take on a center, are usually in a position to want like a younger guy. Like the the Bulls in the um, are the one team that I've heard repeatedly attached to Jaleel Okafor. It's like the only Okafor spot that makes a little bit of sense to me. Maybe Atlanta a little bit too. Yeah. Uh, but that I, I want John Collins playing. Right. As much and, well, as here's a uh, Jaleel Okafor makes sense if the plan is to move Deadman uh, when he's eligible to be traded in December. And then that's my next point. Deadman's sitting here making $6 million. He's the player option for next year. If the Suns, uh, excuse me, if the Hawks decide to move him in December, uh, and 
or to January. When does his restriction expire? December fourteenth. So if they decide to move him December, why wouldn't you? If I'm a team, that's yeah, you would much rather want that than Tyson Chandler. I guess. Oh that yeah. The thing or would Greg be, Monroe probably. Oh no, definitely. Besides Greg Monroe, and I don't know if the caveat would be Chandler probably doesn't cost as much, but you have to match more salary, and you can't expect the Suns. Uh, again, the Hawks. Why do I keep thinking Deadman's on the Suns? You can't expect the Hawks to ask for too much when Deadman has that player option. So uh, that would be that's the other thing to consider is there are cheaper bigs out there, and you made the point with Julia Local for some of these teams. If they do want to take like a, a dice roll, yeah, let's, want the let's get guy. somebody we can. Um... We can mold a little bit. So I don't. You you're not molding 36 year old Tyson Chandler. I you know what? If the Suns want Joakim Noah as a leader for the next three seasons, the Knicks <laughs> will take Tyson Chandler. Oh man, that would be the ultimate um, cap to like the craziest off season slash early season we've ever had. And you need to figure out we're in agreement. And I think we touched on this at the beginning. The Greg Monroe situation needs to be resolved quickly. You can't just unless you're telling him to stay home. You can't holster him until the trade deadline to see if that becomes a valuable contract because you you have to make sure that no one is blocking minutes for Bender and Chris yeah, that's a and weird, even Alex Lynn. So weird and, situation for sure. So that I'm what so give me predictions. What's happening with Chandler? Is he staying? Is he going to be bought out this year? Next year will he be traded this year? And what's going on with Monroe? What do you think? What's your gut telling you? Um, they'll. I think Chandler's going to finish out the season. They'll find something to do with Monroe because I, I feel like they're, it sounds like they're already working toward that end. And I, and I think he has more value than Chandler too. I think it'll be easier to move him. Um, while <laughs> admitting like we have a few times already, it's, it's hard to find a destination for any big man. Um, that would be my prediction on that front. Where, <laughs> where would you be? I kind of feel like Chandler is going to be bought out. Uh, maybe it won't be this season because they'll want to see what happens over the summer. And then, uh, I just see him going to Cleveland somehow. Because <laughs> that's where it Oh, it's when like LeBron the, leaves this summer, you mean? He'll go to Cleveland? No, I'm saying he's just going to be added to this uh, island of misfit toys that they're building over there right now. With regards to Monroe, I'm trying to think of teams that need to kind of take off a contract from their books. Like who... Do you, do you see any team that goes that route that would be willing to sweeten the pot enough to get the Suns to take back their flotsam so that and they'll just let Monroe come off the books? I don't. Yeah, the Lakers and Dang, but I don't think they're gonna. If I'm the Lakers, and that rumor came out from Ramona Shelburne at ESPN.com that Dang, his representatives and the Lakers are working to find a resolution, be it a trade or a buyout. It's not going to be a buyout right now yeah. because the Lakers want to open up those dual max contract slots, and you can't foot. The, like even a partial bill on Luol Deng's final two years after this one. So I honestly, I'm just, I'm looking and I, I don't know. Uh, and teams that might need to kind of get rid of these deals, they might wait until the summer when they know what the free agent market is and, and what they can do. The Lakers seem like the only team that might be kind of impulsive in this situation because maybe they just fully believe that they can get LeBron and Paul George, whether that's yeah. rational or not. And I don't, I have nothing else besides them. I'm I'm scanning over the names of all 30 teams while you're talking. And like I said, I know we've done this with Greg Monroe. I, I don't see a team that just jumps out at me. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. 
Do you know? Do you know what would be interesting? I just don't know if they sweeten the pot enough. Getting Jan Mahimi off the books for Washington and taking on Monroe. He could be interesting there. Yeah. I don't. It's not even. But a yeah, fit. I don't know what they. I don't know what they would. They would have to give up a first round pick, and I'm sure the Suns yeah. would be like, "Give us Ubre," and then that's when Washington hangs up. Things the phone. fall apart. Yeah. Maybe maybe Phoenix is really high on Tomas Sadaransky. Yeah. I'm still irrationally high on him. I don't know what that means to Phoenix, but it means um, get him on who's... the Jazz. <laughs> Who? Okay, now I want a prediction from you. No. Who's the next? Who's the next guy moved? Bledsoe was like the. He was, the obvious one coming down the pike ever since that um, tweet that he sent out. Um, who's up next? Or is are we gonna have to wait till the trade deadline? I don't know if we'll have to wait to the trade deadline. Um, is it? There's nothing out there to support this. I feel like it's going to be Wesley Matthews. That's interesting. Because Very. I would pick Kent Bazemore, but he has the extra year attached to his deal. Matthews will pick up his player option for next year. And no, you, you don't want to pay. Uh, what does Wesley Matthews earn in next year? Is it $18 million or is it 16.5? I can't I can't remember what he was at. It was oh. He's at 18.6. You don't want to pay Wesley Matthews that, but it's for one year. He still works his ass off on defense. He was shooting lights out on catch-and-shoot threes this year. Is there? If you're the Dallas Mavericks, you're bad. You're rebuilding. You can take on maybe a contract that spans an extra year. Maybe it saves you money because the, the player's cheaper, or you get a first-round pick out of it. I, I don't know. That would be something that... I just think is going to happen because he's someone who I, th- I think could still help veteran teams. I, pr- I think I proposed a hypothetical deal in an article. If Dallas got Channing Fry's expiring deal, Amon Shumpert, and a 2020 second-round pick and a 2021 second-round pick from Cleveland, um, and that second-round pick in 2020 comes via Miami, would they give the Cavs Wesley Matthews would be interesting because I would think if you had a pick between I'm- Shumpert and Matthews, who's more likely to opt out this summer? It would be Shumpert, right? Yes. And he costs less than Matthews next season, even if he opts in, like $8 million less. I would probably do that if I was Cleveland. Fry's not playing right now anyway. Uh, Shumpert has like been like be the bane of... the locker room dynamic, but the Cavs are yeah. like this perpetual shit show no matter what. So at that point, <laughs> just like, you know, cut your losses. Cavs Twitter uh, buried and like put the headstone up for Iman Shumpert already like two years ago. Um, so yeah, I would do that if I was Cleveland with Dallas. And it makes, it makes sense for Dallas too. Cause it's just maybe get the extra cap room. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. Cause uh, there's no way Matthews opts out of almost $19 million. No, with that, what's happened to him the last couple of years. Right. And he's still, and the Mavs just like work him to the bone. Like I, I, it's probably cause they don't plan on him being a part of his future, but he, I think he could help. He's one of those players that I'd like to see on a good team because I think he can, really help. And Shumpert's making $11 million next year. Uh, he shouldn't opt out of that because he's not matching the he, yeah, annual value. But what if he what, would some team throw him like a 3 and, and 21? Because like that's still $10 million extra. So I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I'd say that's team. in play. So, and then if he opts out, then all of a sudden you've washed this from your books. And if, if you know, if you were if you were Dallas right now, like I would have given up Wesley Matthews for Greg Monroe if I'm them. If, if that would have been on the table with Milwaukee. I almost said Dallas as an option for Greg Monroe. Yeah, because Nerlens um, Noel doesn't seem like that's going that that's no. going to last. If and, he if he makes it through the season, I there's 
I would be stunned beyond words if he's back on the Mavs next year. Well, that, and that would be another person. Why would you go after Greg Monroe or? Yeah, if you could get Noel Tyson. and he's yeah. four million. Yeah. So, I, do you have? Would you deviate from my name? Who Who do you think is going to be the next person moved? I'm going to go with Ja. Um, uh, I guess that's yeah. That's, that's the next one that just seems like there's. <laughs> There's no possibility of a future with his current team. Um, and he's, I think he's still, I mean, I've, I've been out on Okafor since probably halfway through his rookie year, but I, I think you could see a team still talking themselves, themselves into him. He can't be older than like 22, right? Or 21. I'm looking it up now. Um, he is 21. Yeah. Nerlens Noel. Yeah. So he's still young. Um, Oh, no, excuse I, me, ja. I, I don't know why. Yeah, I'm talking about Okafor. And I Sorry. think I've had a couple people mention it to me when I when I just sort of throw it out there on Twitter. The Bulls is a possibility. Um, Campaign to the Sixers for Ja. That's the trade. It's interesting to me. <laughs> that, would be, that would be such a perfect trade. Um, my thought is, do, does Philadelphia eventually uh, cave and realize we're not, we're not getting anything for this guy? It's time to just... <laughs> Are they move him for Cameron Payne, like you said, or a second round pick or whatever it's going to be? Right. Like, and they don't, people pointed this out. Like, his next team doesn't all of a sudden can't offer him all this money if they want to keep him. Like, the incentive is to just have him for an extra few months uh, to experiment with him. I don't know why yeah. the Sixers, no, everyone knows they didn't want him. And they made that clear when they said, well, we'd rather have the $6.3 million in cap space next year than him. And you're going to sit here and hold out for a second round pick? Like, that's just being destructive. To yeah, Julia Okafor's career, really weird. And yeah, the Sixers are in this weird situation because what what do you want back? And it seems like it it has to be a pick because you don't want to compromise your max contract flexibility for next summer. You already gave Joel Embiid all that money. He's on the books for twenty five plus million dollars if we assume everything is all right with him. And then you're going. Everyone assumes they're going to renegotiate and extend Robert Covington at some point. So he's going to cost at least I would say twelve million a year. Uh, and it, it might even be more than that. He's been really good this year. Yeah. So it's not, you know, Alec Nathan over Bleacher Report, Sixers Stan, and just a friend of the pod, he proposed to me that you go Jaleel Okafor and Jared Bayless, who has one year at $8.5 million left on his deal, for Kent Bazemore from Atlanta. So Atlanta gets out of that. It's basically a final. You're paying Bayless half of what Kent Bazemore is going to make next season, and then you're out a year earlier from it. So you save a ton of money. You get to experiment with um, Jaleel Okafor for a year, but why would the Sixers want to take on what is $37.3, $37.4 million over the next two years after this one, assuming they want to have all that cap space? They would still have a path if you keep Robert Covington's hold rather than extend him and let him go into free agency, but you don't. You, we know that the Sixers want to be involved in these superstar nego, uh, negotiations and free agency, so they're not even trying to be like, let's use Jaws, the salary matching thing with Bayless so that we can take back maybe a higher impact player this season and make more noise. I don't understand their end game. If this is like a second round pick deal, it seems very stubborn. My conspiracy theory was Brian Colangelo just like keeping him around to remind <laughs> people that Sam Hinkie wasn't perfect. And, <laughs> And obviously that goes out the window a little bit because they've declined. I'm going with option. that. But why else would you? <laughs> now it's almost unfair to Okafor. I get like it's wild how many. Um, there was so much criticism, and there was a lot of love too for Sam Hinkie while he was there. But man, there has been a lot of craziness since uh, Colangelo took over. 
Right. I, I don't understand their endgame with Julio Okafor, and I guess he probably will be the next guy moved, whether it's via they bend and say it's via buyout. But they're just why, why not just save a million or two million dollars and let him go because you think he's going to go to the Celtics or the Spurs and become an All Star? Is that what you're paranoid I would, about? Yeah, I would I would probably trade him for like a top fifty five protected second round pick. <laughs> and, and like Chicago t- could take him into cap space if they. Yeah, exactly. I know they have the trade exception, but don't they have like still a little bit of cap space even if they want to keep that Jimmy Butler exception? I'm looking now. Um, oh, and yeah, like so- theoretically. Um, Markin and Okafor is like an interesting combo. I think Markin is a little bit more fleet of foot. Maybe he can cover the guys that are a little bit quicker. You can sort of leave Okafor in the paint. Um, right. And it's a team that's obviously not playing for anything other than experimentation. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, that's a, a location that makes sense to me. I, I can't really pinpoint another one, but yeah, that would probably be the guy that I would peg is the next one moved. And I guess apparently the um, Bulls are over the cap if they operate with that Jimmy Butler trade exception I'm seeing now. So you wouldn't want to renounce that 11, like a part of that to get Okafor, well, I don't think. Maybe you would, maybe you wouldn't. We're back to your, uh, we're back to your campaign for Okafor idea. Um, yeah, I, someone <laughs> got mad at me on Twitter. They said every, they had like two followers or maybe they had a thousand followers or something and no one came at me, but they said, all Bulls fans need to crap on Danfa Valley for that campaign for Okafor trade. And <laughs> my stance is, why? The campaign is injured, not even playing right now. I know Fred Hoiberg really likes, likes him. He was electric with the Oklahoma City Thunder as a rookie did you, at points. Did you ask him why? No, I'm not getting into a discussion about The Bulls have a bajillion guards. They're going to have to pay Zach Levine. Like, it's just... Yeah, I I don't know, and I and I'm curious. I I just want to be in these discussions with the Sixers because how the heck is a deal not got done? It's like were they it asking the Bulls for Drew Holiday or something stupid, and they're waiting for like that? They think that they could get him for Ja in December. I I honestly don't know. Um, do you think there's going to be? Let's go to Dang really quick. Are we in agreement that he's probably not going to be traded this season? It'll happen this summer if it happens at all. I, I'm in agreement. I don't like even if you attach sweeteners, I would. Uh, it, it'd be really hard to unload if him. And the have... other thing, unless they're like 100% sure that LeBron is coming, or they're 100% sure that Paul George is coming, I'm not sure I would want to be attaching sweeteners. No, like I, you I would. Shouldn't. I would want to still be adding to what's going on. Because what's the sweetener? It's Kuzma or it's Ingram at this point, right? And or I another don't... or one of those later picks, like you mentioned early on. Right, and those might be easier to give up at this point. If they end up using Ingram as sweetener, whether it's now or or next or over the summer, I'll be hot. They, I'm, I'm a Brandon Ingram yeah, fan. I don't know. I don't know how they could do that after they prioritized him above Russell this summer. They might as well just use Ball. <laughs> oh man, is there, um, any, is there anybody else we should be keeping an eye on, trade rumor wise? Do you think Baysmore gets moved this year? He's interesting to me. He seems like he's another guy who, as Atlanta's tried to expand his offensive role and turn him into this more secondary playmaker, that that's where we've seen his efficiency plummet. If you just have him in that catch-and-shoot role and sometimes he'll drive if people go for a fake, that's his optimal offensive role. So you could put him in a kind of a deeper situation or some or on a team that just has more playmakers than Atlanta, who lets everyone handle the ball to their credit, but these aren't established guys who are going for the assists. I'd be interested to see where... He might fit again. I would like him in Philly if they like that trade to me. I would that would work for both sides if Philly doesn't think if they're willing to let Robert Covington go into 
free agency with his diminutive cap hold and, and try and work back from there. But uh, he's another tough one. I haven't one. heard his – this is the first time I've really heard him um, mentioned as a trade possibility. You, <laughs> I, If I was a team, I wouldn't want to touch that. He's, he's making $17 million this year. Um, how much longer is he on the books? This with this year it was fifty four point three million dollars through two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty. So do you know what he's <laughs> he's shooting thirty six percent from the field and twenty eight percent from three? Right. right now. I'm I'm saying I, I, it sounds stupid now, and even his um over the past couple of years his efficiency at the at the rim has not been great. He was at over sixty percent for a good part for two seasons, and then he dropped, and now he's at fifty nine point three, which I guess is it's okay, it's not spectacular. Um, I I don't I like Kent Bazemore. I think he still gives you some effort on defense and a lot of different versus like different like coverage options. But that that's a tough contract to move. We're coming back to those yeah. 2016 from, deals. I was gonna say yeah. From the moment I heard that contract announced, I thought wow. Um, it was supposed to mark like this new reality, and a, a bunch of us read it wrong. <laughs> and it just Maybe, didn't happen. Like right. yeah, I I read it wrong too. That was one that even at the time though I thought was it that. I th- that seems weird. And I remember hearing about Bazemore's name specifically. Um, it, I think it was on an episode of The Low Post or something. Even before the summer of 2016, he was like, people are going to see what Kent Bazemore gets paid and be shocked. He um, turned down more money from Houston, remember, to stay in Atlanta. They dodged oh, the bullet there. I remember that. Yeah, I yeah they, I, they sure did. It wasn't that much more, I don't think. And I'm Unless not, they, he's it, like a magically better spot up shooter catching from James Harden. Right. So and I'm gonna come off really bad on this. It was really the only deals that I just immediately thought were bad were like these deals for big men. Timothy Mozgov Moz, looked like crap Mozgov. by the way. Yeah. Mahine was terrible. Was... Noah was really bad. But I talked myself into Alan Crabb. I was fine with Baysmore. I talked myself into Evan Turner at I was gonna point. say Evan Turner was my biggest <laughs> misstep. I'm surprised that you I would have felt I think more comfortable with even... Baysmore than Turner. Even on this, I don't remember if it was on the podcast or somewhere else. I talked about him being like Portland's version of Draymond Green. <laughs> oh my god! Like Lillard and McCollum spacing the floor off Evan Turner drives, like Curry and Thompson spaced off Draymond's drives. Like as I say it, it still makes sense to me, um, but obviously it did not happen. <laughs> I mean, damn. <laughs> Uh, I feel like that's probably a good place to end it. My um, embarrassing, though we all have them, my embarrassing take um, on Evan Turner's contract. We've we mostly talked uh, Bucks and Suns, understandably. Like again, Eric Bledsoe was traded to the Bucks today, so a big loser your... in this deal residually to throw it in the Nuggets a little bit because they still need a point guard. Yeah, shout out Reggie yeah, Jackson for sure. The uh, Releasing Jameer Nelson for no apparent reason still inexplicable because Richard Jefferson is like buddy buddies with the <laughs> Denver Nuggets brass. He's played like five minutes um, since they picked Jameer him up. Jameer was their most used point guard last season. That's what I can't get over. You just told him to go away. I get their offense, high on Jamal Murray, but come on. Their offense was amazing when he was on the floor too. Very like, weird. You, you need to have like safety nets for the Jokic Paul Millsap thing, especially in the early going. That was absolutely. That was uh, in retrospect one of the if we want to like throw it under the I don't know what you want to call it like the preseason offseason but like that was one of the worst moves of the of like the transaction period made no sense to me um, 
yeah, so <laughs> if you agree with us on that or if you disagree with, with any of our takes that we've spewed out over the last um, hour plus regarding the Eric Bledsoe trade, find Dan, uh, give all the venom and vitriol to him at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E, and then save all the uh, nice remarks from me at Andrew D. Bailey. Um, either or works for at Hardwood Knox. We'll take good or bad there. Um, as always, subscribe to the show. Uh, whether you listen on Apple or Android, you can find us on Blog Talk Radio, uh, Stitcher. We should be able to work for whatever device you listen to your podcasts on. If we um, don't, let us know. Yeah, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll figure it out. Also, leave uh, reviews. Tell your friends to subscribe. Uh, coerce your friends into subscribing. Bribe them, perhaps. Um, and in the meantime, and until then, we leave you with a shout-out to Kyle Anderson, but also, of course, Bino Udry. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Skydiving. This is amazing. Yeah, but you know what else is amazing? An iPhone 6S for just 49 bucks at Metro. Really? Imagine streaming all the way down with that amazing camera. I'm switching. That's smart. You know what else is smart? Parachutes. Woo! Switch to Metro and get an amazing iPhone 6S for only 49 bucks. Metro by T-Mobile. Phone offer requires port of number not currently active on T-Mobile network or active on Metro in past 90 days. See store for details and terms and conditions. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.